This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. Morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to you if you're joining us, you're new or visiting. Welcome to everyone joining us online and on the podcast as well. We're in the middle of a series called A Beautiful Life, and we're going to continue on through the Beatitudes today and uh, see what the Lord might be saying to each one of us. The best thing, one of the best things about growing up for me was getting to have sleepovers, right? You'd stay over at a friend's house. It's a bit special, a little bit different. Get to go around there and you know hang out with their family, and I mean, and so it's awesome and really, really weird all at the same time. I'm an early riser, so being the first one up in an unfamiliar house with and no one else is there, it feels strange, right? Anyone else had that experience where you're up first, and then what do you do? It's not your house, so. You, Sit around, wait for your friend to wake up. Do, do you wake them up? Do you go, oh, I'm too scared to go to the bathroom because, you know, it's like noise, like just everything's just a little bit strange. And then it feels a little bit better once everyone, there's a bit of life and, and joy in the house and you feel like you can kind of, you know, get on with the day. But spending that time at a friend's house, actually Finn had a friend, Josh, I, was, I, I warned them this morning, I said, jo, jo, Josh stayed over at our place last night and I said, this opening story, the opening illustration today is not in reference to you. And so um, I just had to like preload that and warn him beforehand just to make sure. I'm going to read to us from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, going to verse 7. So we can see today's beatitude in the context of what has come before. Seeing the crowds, Matthew 5, verse 1 to 7, he went up onto the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So the question we're asking in this series is who gets to live the good life? This word blessed are is in Greek, the the, the meaning that it carries is the good life is for those who are to be envied and those who are to be admired are. But what the the cultural switch here is that the things that Jesus says we should admire and envy in a person or the things that we, when we see them in someone, we say, ah, that's the good life, are not the things that you would expect. The things that we should admire and envy and say, that's the good life, are, Jesus says, the good life is being lived by the powerless. The good life is being lived by those who grieve. The good life is being lived by those who are unimportant. And we're meant to look at that and say, wow, that's the good life. Why? 
because of the way that those things, unimportance, grief, powerlessness, open us up to live in connection and relationship to God. Then the Beatitudes take a turn and they switch from being about an internal posture to being about something about the way that we relate to others. And so Jesus says, blessed are the good life are for those, is for those who hunger and thirst, who are hungry for something. And in fact, they're hungry for righteousness. Now that just sounds like a religious word, but what that means is right relationship. They're hungry for being in right relationships with others. And Jesus says the good life is being lived by the merciful. And we want to talk about that today. The turn from a heart posture to our outward relationships. See, our hunger begins to lead us on a search, doesn't it? Who enjoys being hungry? There's a couple of people who do. Um, Being hungry is a strange feeling, but it's one of those things that carry around with you and a lot of you will get hangry at the same time. You get hungry and then you get angry and then those two things coexist. Especially if you've got young people in your house, some of the world's biggest problems can be solved with a sandwich, right? (laughs) Just this all, and they just put a little bit of food into them, problem solved. Whatever the issue was is now gone. It's not there anymore. Right, But our hunger leads us on a search. What do you do when you're hungry? You get up from the couch. You go hunting around the house, don't you? Like a, prime, like a primal hunter-gatherer. I've got to find my prey. And you're going looking around. High cupboards, low cupboards. What is there? Where are the chips? Where are the snacks? Where are the M&Ms? I'm, I'm I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm going on a search. But our hunger leads us and takes us on a journey. And Jesus says, blessed are those, the good life is for those who are hungry and thirsty for what? For right relationships. Some translations have it, justice. Some translations say righteousness. And righteousness is unhelpful for us because it's kind of righteousness, that word has now got a big bag on its back with all of this kind of religious vibe, which is not how it would have sounded when Jesus said it. But what it means is that where everyone is in right relationship to one another, where there was mutuality of relationship and the good life is being lived by those who are hungry for that. You're not hungry for something that you have. You're hungry because there's an absence of it. And so those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness know that there's something not quite right with the world and with the way that we relate to one another. But they're hungry to see God do something and to see that hunger filled. It's about developing your palate. What is it that you're hungry for? We, from a very young age, developed our children's palates very purposefully because when we go out, we don't want it. It's not just chicken tenders and chips every single time. That is outlawed. That is banned in our house. It's olives 
and it's oysters. You know, it's, it's, it's the good stuff, right? And you have to develop that palate, you know, in your children from a very young age. That's part, it should be a question in the child dedications, right? It's part, it's, it's part of discipleship. <clears throat> but we have to develop our palate for things. You have to develop your palate for righteousness to see right relationships happen. People who live out of relationship with each other have developed a, develop a palate for drama and for chaos and for war and for being at odds. And that's normal for people who have developed a palate for that. But when you begin to develop a palate for righteousness, for right relationship, for peace, for goodness, that begins to be the thing that you hunger and thirst for. What is it that you're hungry and thirsty for? When you lie in bed at night, what is it that your heart longs for? What are you hungry to see happen? God, if only you would fill in the blank. Tells us a lot about our heart. And Jesus uses this word. He says, blessed, the good life is being lived by the merciful. Now again, this is a challenge because who uses this word, mercy, in everyday life? Perhaps, I'm not sure what you think about when you think about this word mercy. I think about the game I played at school where you, get, you intertwine, you interlock your fingers with your mate and then it's basically a game of who can snap the other person's wrist before, and you, you cry mercy when you lose. And you like you basically you, you you tap out. You say I'm done. You win. That's the first thing I think about when I think about this word. Blessed are the merciful. What do you think of? Do you think about it in terms of court or in terms of a, a legal system? How do you think about this word? Because Jesus said the good life is being lived by those who are merciful. <clears throat> now uh, there's a a little bit of a trick. The the, the Greek word is this word elios. And it creates two levels of relationship. Now, what do I mean by this? Okay, again, Bible nerd glasses, Bible nerd hat just for one second. Oftentimes in Scripture, when we don't know how a word is meant to work, you can see where other times in Scripture that exact word is used to find the context in which it's used. So you can go back to the, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament and see where people have used this exact word elios in the Old Testament to find out how should, how might have Jesus been using this word? How might this word, is, was it meant to function and operate when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful? Does that make sense? Otherwise, I'm gonna go around thinking Jesus is talking about, about a, a schoolyard game, which he's obviously not. Maybe he is, but he's probably not, right? So we need to try and do some work to find out what does he mean when he says merciful. Now at the end of today, we're gonna to read this beautiful passage of Scripture from the Psalms and we're gonna read it together and it's going to show us the fullest sense in which this word is meant to be used. But it's a word that's almost like a supercharger on righteousness. 
So when Jesus says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, because you'll be filled. And then He says, blessed are the merciful. It is like righteousness, but times 10. It is like super abundant kindness and goodness. This word elios is a, is a gut level kindness, a relationship to the world that is completely and utterly deep and generous. You might translate it like this, treating others as though they are family. Treating others as though they are family. Now, that metaphor only works if you've had family relationships that have been healthy and productive. I understand that. It's the same as any metaphor. It's just like if you say, like a hot knife through butter. That only makes sense if you know about hot knives and butter, right? If you don't know those things, then that metaphor doesn't work. In the same kind of way, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who treat others like family because God will treat you like family. Blessed are those when they see another person who's not of their family, treats them like family. Because God, even though you're not from His family originally, separated by sin, will treat you like family. Is that making sense? This is this word, Elios. This is what it means to be merciful. Now, of course, that creates a whole lot of challenges and a whole lot of problems. And so we're going to work those through. So it's almost as though when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the base layer. Mutuality, everyone gets, everyone gets treated the same way. We treat each other as we deserve. Um, I'm, I'm kind, I'm considerate, I'm compassionate. And then he says, but the real good life is for those who are merciful. Treat others like family. Treat others on the other side, like they are on our own. Begins with hunger, continues in contrition and is outworked in relationships. Okay, so how do we live mercifully like this? How do we do it? Well, the first thing is acknowledging our own ongoing need for mercy. (laughs) Right? Our ongoing need for mercy. One commentator said it this way, according to the view given in Scripture, the Christian stands at a middle point between a mercy received and a mercy yet needed. I've received mercy, but I need more mercy. I've received mercy, but I need more mercy. Are you drawing down on that need? Jesus tells a story of the tax collector who stands on one side and then the Pharisees who stands on the other and the Pharisee sprouts off all the great things that he's done. I tithe, I do all this really great stuff and the, and the tax collector stands, doesn't even move close to the altar, stands back and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he's the one who's justified before God, not the guy who had it all together. I am in need of mercy. Are you? I've got to acknowledge my own need for mercy. In my own life, personally, Matt, you know, the big three, sex, money, power, are always going to be at my door trying to drag me down, trying to pull me out of right relationship with the people around me. And I need the merciful support, accountability, kindness, and goodness of a good group of people who are around me who treat me like family. 
Who will keep me accountable? Hey, Matt, how are you going? How's your marriage? How are your connections? How are your friends? How's your sleep? How are you, how are you, how are you going? How's your heart? Are you, are you tired? I need that mercy on a daily basis. And I welcome it. I welcome it. In fact, I'm very, very grateful for those accountability structures that are in place around me, not just as a leader and as a minister, but as a friend, as a brother, as a son. We live in a constant need of mercy for others to treat us like family. Secondly, it's about seeing people through a kingdom lens. When you treat someone like family, you're not treating them with cynicism, but treating them with hope. This, the cynical nature of, of our kind of, I mean, I, I think it's our world, but I think it's particularly Australia. We are a very cynical people. And that's because cynicism is just disappointment in disguise. It's disappointment over and over and over again and then your heart gets hard and then you get cynical and you say, oh, well, of course they do that. You know, put in put whatever government agency you want and then you can be cynical about it, right? You can be upset, oh, of course they'd be like that. Of course that's what's gonna happen. Oh, of course I'm gonna spend that long on the phone. Of course that's gonna go wrong for me. Of course... It's just disappointment in disguise. And yet when we treat others like family, we treat them with hope. We move towards with a sense of joy, with a sense of childlike um, anticipation that maybe God could do a miracle. Maybe something could be different. Maybe there's a different end to the story. Merciful people are categorically hopeful people. I've not met a merciful person who's cynical. I haven't. In fact, the people who I think would have the most reason to be down, think about the persecuted church where in countries where it is a, either a crime or it is highly unadvisable to have a faith in Jesus where there is a threat of violence, a very real threat to your family or to your life, they're the most uncynical, most hopeful people that I've ever met. It's as though that suffering has polished a diamond that is so beautiful, they become the most merciful people there are, most forgiving and kind and willing to see and treat others like family. Why? There's this cleansing, beautiful characteristic to suffering that when we go through something in Jesus' name, it actually makes us whole and holy. Now, how do you live mercifully if you're a police officer? or a jail warden, or a parent, for that matter. (laughs) Right? Because everyone knows that the answer with mercy isn't just letting people do whatever they want. That's not mercy. That's lazy. Right? But there is a way that you can even treat the offender like family whilst they still have to pay for their crime. Right? It doesn't just mean we abolish the police force. Oh, we have to, to be a good Christian, to live the good life, we have to live mercifully, so therefore no one has to pay for anything anymore. Of course not. There is a place for mercy and a firm hand. Mercy with a firm hand. 
as a parent, it's as though all the time we're holding that line where we're trying to disciple and raise children who are going to contribute, who are going to be, who are going to serve the planet and get and offer something to the world, who are going to contribute to the kingdom of God. And a lot of times, our own base instincts are not that way. They have to be. We have to be trained. We have to be disciplined into it. And that can be done, though, in a merciful way. It changes the way that we approach people. It's a different heart and a different spirit now. We've got to advance the kingdom by merciful works. If Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, so the good life is for those who are merciful, we should envy that. We're trying to paint a picture here of a merciful life and then arouse our jealousy to go, well, I want that. I want to be, I want to live the good life. Okay, be poor in spirit. I want, oh, I want, I want the good life for me. Okay, awesome. Grieve over your sin. I want the good life. Okay, accept unimportance. Live into it. Start to hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll begin to see what the good life actually is like. Begin to be merciful and live in mercy. Treat others like family and the good life will be yours. That's the choice we can make. But I know this, that the world will be won by a merciful people. The world will be won by a merciful people, not by a vengeful people. Not by a hateful people, not by a judgmental people, not by a cynical people, but the world will be won and brought to faith in Christ by mercy as we treat others like family before they act like family, before they are like family, when we treat them like they are. When we extend our borders out to include people who would never include themselves and once they've been included, they get a taste for it too. And they say, hey, this is how we relate around here. Not like that, but like this. Because when we treat people like family, perhaps they will live like it too. The same way that when I go to my friend's house for a sleepover and they hold hands at dinner and say grace, I think, oh, it's a bit weird, but when in Rome, I'm here, right? <laughs> I live like the family I'm with. And in the same way, the glorious church, the kingdom of God is about bringing, welcoming people in in mercy and treating them like family, even before they are. Now, there's one thing that we haven't spoken about yet is that where does this mercy come from? Where does this mercy come from? If we stand between grace received and gra- uh, mercy received and mercy needed, we're always going to be in a deficit of mercy. Who's, the most, who's got everlasting mercy in this room? I didn't think so. No one. So there's a constant need. There's a constant demand for mercy in our lives. Where does it come from? You know, Jesus tells the story 
of the ruler who, was, who owed a lot of money to, a, to the boss and he could never pay it back. And he went to the boss and said, boss, I, I get, I owe you millions and there's no way I could ever pay it back. And the boss goes, you know what? That's cool. I write off your debt. And then the land owner goes, sweet, thank you. And then he walks outside and finds the guy who owed him 10 bucks and just begins to choke him and says, pay back what you owe me or I'm going to kill you. Forgetting the big, big, big debt that he was just forgiven of. That's where the mercy comes from, my friends. When you and I acknowledge the great debt that we've been forgiven from, the millions and millions and millions of dollars worth that have been heaped up, that has been wiped clean, as God has called us and said, I'm gonna treat you like family. And in family, we call it even. The debts are off. I'm no longer gonna hold that against you. In the very same way, that should be the fuel for us to live mercifully in the lives of others. We can then do that for other people. That is the fuel. God has treated us like family even when we weren't. And so now we can do the same. It's in God's character to be merciful. In fact, there's an entire psalm, Psalm 136. And through this psalm, it tells the story of creation. It tells then the story of Israel's freedom from captivity. And then it tells God's kind of ongoing goodness with God's people. And Interjected between every single line as they tell this story is this phrase, his mercy lasts forever. It's as though at every step of the way, one thing happens and we remember God's mercy. The next thing happens and we remember God's mercy. The next thing happens and we remember God's mercy. It is as though every step of the way throughout Israel's journey, it was just punctuated by God's loving kindness, His mercy to them. God did not have to, God wasn't beholden to the people Israel. He chose them. He said, I've selected you. You're my beloved. I've set my love upon you. I've called you. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna bring you out of, out of Egypt and I'm gonna take you into your own land. I'm gonna do that out of my own goodwill. I'm gonna treat you like my family. And at no point did they deserve it, did they earn it, or did they sometimes even want it. And yet God did that. And so in the same way, God has called you. He said, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. And even before you were family, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Even, even, though, even before you were family, I treated you like family. And you didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. Sometimes you didn't deserve it. You didn't, you didn't work for it. And yet I set my love upon you and I'm merciful to you and I'm kind to you and I'm gonna bring you on this journey. And I would ask that then you would use that mercy as the basis for treating others mercifully too. 
So to close this message today, we're going to enter back into an ancient worship service and we're going to try it. Now, this could feel like a disclaimer, right? It's going to be a call and response, okay? I'm going to, make a, I'm going to say the line and then you guys are going to say the line after it. I don't want it to feel like cult vibes though, all right? Like, so, like, so, when, we, so when we kind of, when we say back the line, it'd be cool if you gave it some energy rather than monotone, like, like monotone chant, we're being brainwashed. Do you know what I mean? Not that, not that. Like an acclamation of this is good, Okay. So this is going to be a bit of a test. Just see if we can do it. Look, if it's really, really bad, we'll forget it ever happened, okay? But this is Psalm 136. And I've selected the verses out of here, so it won't be too long. But your line is simple. His mercy endures forever. That's your line. I could have put it up there once, but I put it up there every time, just like it is in the text. Now, this was designed to be read in community. This was designed so that the worship leader, me in this case, would say the thing that God has done and then the people would respond by saying His mercy endures forever. And then the worship leader would say the next thing that God has done and the people would respond by saying His mercy endures forever. And then the leader would say the next thing that God has done. And it reminds us that every single step of the way, every part of your life has been punctuated with mercy. There is nothing that you have that you did not receive. There is nothing that is yours that you currently hold. Every single breath has been given is an act of mercy of God treating you and me like family, calling us in, saying, dealing with our tantrums, cleaning up our messes, and the whole time treating you like family. So, are we, are we ready to try this? All right, actually, let's stand, we'll do this together. <clears throat> All right. So it's not the whole psalm. There's a part in the middle that, that I've omitted um, for brevity's sake. But we'll get the gist. All right, ready? I'm nervous. Okay. <clears throat> but when we say these things, I want you to say them as though you're declaring it to God and it's, a, it's, a, it's worship coming from your heart, not just I'm reading words off the screen, okay? This is coming from our heart. So give thanks to the Lord for He is good. That's good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him, by His understanding, made the heavens. To Him who spread out the earth on the waters. To Him who made the great lights. 
the sun to rule by day and the moon and stars to rule by night. Who remembered us in our low condition and tore us out of the hands of our oppressors. He gives food to all living creatures. Give thanks to the God of the heavens. Father, thank You. You saw us in our low condition. You set Your love upon us. You wiped the slate clean in Jesus. You do not treat us as our sins deserve, but You treat us like family. And you said, blessed are the merciful. And so Father, today, may we live as ones hungry and thirsty for right relationships. May we live as ones who will set mercy as our baseline and treat others like family. Father, today, do a work by your Holy Spirit in us that you would form in us a new kind of people, a merciful people, a kind people, a people who have Elios, loving kindness, generous love. And that that would be our mark and we would live that out and live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together, church. Come on. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impact.